0: This is the School of Fine Arts Podcast, Episode 12 Design De Novo.
1: Arts, education, conversation that makes a difference. Welcome to So Fine, the School of Fine Arts Podcast, with your host, Todd Hennessy.
0: Uh, hey, everybody, welcome back to the show. Uh, I'm really uh, pleased today to, to be talking to Maria Kilfoyle, who's the manager of the new makerspace. That's right. Yeah. And we're just getting set up, right? You're sort of in the throes of getting all that organized?
1: Yes, right in the throes of it. Everything is uh, proceeding apace. We've got um, construction. Proceeding apace, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do I have to use sophisticated words on this show?
0: No, please don't.
1: Okay, good. Yeah, building her out. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: it's over mm-hmm. in, so- well, we'll talk about the, all, all the plans in a second, but right now the Greenville Maker space is in the space over by the pool, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. What used to be called the party room? It's now going to be the maker space, and there's a side room to give us more space. And um, sometimes we'll be doing things in other spaces in the building, either across the hall or in the common spaces. Just yeah. to, to have room for programming, because the room itself is barely sufficient to contain the equipment. It's going to be really nicely laid out, but we also want to do workshops for such things as design, creating design tools, which I guess we'll probably talk more about. Yep. Um, so. So, yeah, that's, that's the current space for it. Okay.
0: And uh, so two things, I guess. One is if uh, I'm sure people are familiar with it. Can you just talk us through makerspaces, you know, kind of generally speaking, what they are, what they do, how they function, that sort of thing?
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, makerspace is a relatively new kind of buzzword. Um, it's a ground root, uh, grassroots kind of um, ethos. And there are different iterations all over the world. Um, I visited a few in North America before I moved here. They are um, really D- DIY spaces, spaces created uh, to contain lots of tools for making and fabrication. So I'm using both of those words because fabrication implies larger scale mm-hmm. um, things, metalworking, woodworking. And um, what what has really allowed this uh, grassroots movement to take place is, well, a few things. One is um, easier digital design tools that allow people to create their own um, design using open source free software uh, with lots of tutorials that help people to do it, um, guide people through it. Uh, So that's made sophisticated tools easier to use. The tools themselves have been made easier to use more. So they're no longer in the hands of, you don't have to be a skilled professional now to use um, sophisticated wood cutting or metal cutting or acrylic cutting um, piece of equipment because these days they've been made digital and robotic. So uh, you don't do it by hand. The the user doesn't actually move the, um, whatever is a cutting tool, a it's mounted on a gantry, and that's all robotically controlled. And so um, we can think of them as digital design tools. So 3D printers are one that people might have heard a lot about. Mm -hmm. Laser cutter is another. We're getting a plasma cutter for the makerspace, which we're really excited about because that's going to expand the capacity, the uh, materials capacity, beyond wood and cardboard and acrylic to different different types of metals, which should be useful for artists as well as... uh, kind of traditional fabricators.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, I can half use some of these tools. So so you're absolutely right. Uh, I have no kind of, you know, skills in that regard, really, but I can use some of these tools. So that's, you know, gives you some sense of, 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 of how democratizing this stuff is because, you know, if I can take half an hour and figure out how to use a 3D printer or a laser cutter or whatever else, it gives, I think, hope to all humanity. But that's really. the baseline. Yeah, yeah. seriously, seriously, <laughs> seriously. Yeah, no, no. I agree. No, it's really fun. And um, um, so let's talk a bit more about... Some of these tools I, I am familiar with, but uh, I haven't quite wrapped my head around a plasma cutter. When I hear plasma, I think, you know, medical shows and TV and, uh, you know, bags of blood and stuff. But that's, <laughs> not, right. what, that's not what we're talking about. No,
1: right. plasma here is like the fourth state of matter that usually people hear Oh, the hear fourth about state of matter. In, uh, <laughs> well, how many states do you want? It's an extra right. state of matter in, in, in addition to um, solid, liquid, and gas. And usually pe- we hear about it in the context of outer space. So when you have. Um, objects in space that are not quite gaseous, not quite liquid. So really um, ionized atoms that have been created by large-scale forces in the universe in those situations. So you can do the same thing by creating an electric field across metals. And metals are hard to laser cut, nearly impossible, but not quite, because they're reflective. And so that's a challenge if you're going to cut it with a laser, which is the probably most commonly used digital design cutting tool. Um, So... So by creating that plasma, which is like, you can think of it like a really ionized liquid, you um, you change the state of matter in this very focused area, and then wow. it's the same way as you do with a laser cutter. Yeah. So you're removing material in a really uh, precise way.
0: Precise way. Yeah. Because uh, we've got a laser cutter downstairs, mm-hmm. as, as you know, and it's phenomenal what that thing can do. It's just, it's, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah.
1: So you can't use a plasma cutter on the other things that a laser cutter can do. It's kind of, uh, so... Uh, what what limits metals from being cut with the laser because they're reflective is not the same reason you can use a plasma cutter. It's because they're conducting, and so you can apply electric field across them and create the plasma. Right, right. So you need to have conducting materials. Most all metals are conducting, so it's, it's sweet.
0: It sounds really sweet. So you've got a machine that apparently, if I'm hearing you correctly, harnesses the power of outer space (laughs) to (laughs) cut stuff.
1: That's exactly right. I thought so. It's cosmic.
0: I thought so. so. And you're just going to have one of these things over in the party room?
1: Yes. Cutting stuff? That's right. That's amazing. Yeah, uh, we've worked with the... um, So the company that's making it, they're called Fast Cut in British Columbia. So what's nice is it's going to be Canadian made. And uh, they... We've worked with them to... um, kind of create and um, brainstorm about, they've been really flexible about creating a way that w- we can have it in sight without having kind of ino- uh, huge amounts of ventilation that you might require for um, something that's going to, you think something's going to generate a plasma electric fields, it's also going to generate you know, cosmic dust holes. or something. Yes. Black holes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we need to, instead of making black holes, we're just going to put the plasma down into a water table below. That's really cool.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, well, seriously, in all seriousness, it's amazing to me how far this technology's kind of come. That, you know, you know uh, that we've got some of this equipment downstairs now, and I'm just daily fascinated by the fact that we have a, a laser downstairs that we <laughs> are using to cut materials with, right? Seriously, right? Yeah. I mean, it's amazing to me that this technology is in the hands of... of uh, uh, so readily available. These aren't inexpensive pieces of equipment by any stretch, but the uh, the fact that they're so accessible, and I say that they can c- contribute to this kind of DIY kind of culture and this maker culture, and if you want to test an idea or, or make a piece of art, you have these other this other suite of tools yes. to do that with, right?
1: So that's a good point. It is, it is beautiful. It's such a beautiful concept, and it's beautiful to see it in practice, which you and I have both seen with the tools you already have. Um, That brings us back to the idea of makerspace. They are not cheap tools to purchase. And so uh, although it's been democratizing, it would be very difficult for someone to have anything beyond um, a very limited type of equipment in their own garage or their own shop at home. Or even for a small manufacturer, they might invest in it later, but to invest in it at the outset without knowing how much they'd be able to use it and whether it's truly affordable in a, in a business sense. So the idea of the makerspace is uh, these tools will be centralized. So any, uh, the equipment will be um, one time. To- it's a one time investment, but available to the community. And the community here has many constituencies, everybody basically. But we, we can talk more about that if you want, if there's time.
0: Well, I'll tell you. So we start first Start kicking around the idea of makerspace, I don't know about a year ago. I'm saying we. I'm pointing at you. You hadn't even hired at that point, but people like Ken Carter and the House of Engagement and Rob Gallant and a bunch of other people were thinking we should think about a makerspace. And and we brought this material or you know brought the tools from downstairs. And you know immediately the community started phoning and and were clearly interested in using this stuff. And that that part of it I think is also uh, important to all of this, right? That that we'll have this suite of tools that like you say is these things aren't aren't cheap, but they're usable and and you know. And uh, so access, for me, is really keen. I guess what I'm trying to say is that in all of our minds has been the idea that we're going to help to kind of grow a maker community or make a culture, that people who want to try stuff out, who want to prototype, who just have an idea. And we'll, I want to come back to creativity in a second, but that, that this is all available to the general, you know, to the community in some kind of a way uh, is really, to me, very, very exciting.
1: It is very exciting. And around that same time, I was um, so... Professionally, in my profession as a as a physicist with a research lab, I was in the business of kind of having a makerspace type of thing in my own lab. So I would, in order to build the equipment that we needed for experiments or we thought we needed, usually it needed to be created, and I would train students in how, how to design things, and physics departments, for this reason, usually have a machine shop on site, so students can take training and learn how to use that. But that's very limiting, only to that small number of people, and you're not um, you're not bringing anything to the community, either the ideas or the skills, and the, yeah. the craft. Yep. I like to think of it as craft. And so I was really turned on by the idea of makerspaces, and I joined more than one myself. And I could see the community that's using it, and there's such a vast array of people that are coming in to use these spaces. Some of them already had ideas when they wanted to uh, that they wanted particular equipment to try out, and others just for, by virtue of being in the space, seeing what the equipment can do, and a really huge component mixing with people who are using the equipment and talking about what, what projects they're working on. It's just a huge idea generator and many of those ideas could be commercialized.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's really is fantastic. And um,
1: So it's beautiful to see it being realized here and uh, I just find, I find it, um, I was really impressed to know about the team of people here who had been thinking about this idea and having it here in Cornerbrook because the idea of having such a thing in, in, in Canada to sort of stimulate and rejuvenate fabrication and building things, which has always been a culture, especially in rural parts of Canada, and in western Newfoundland where Corner um, Brook has the mill and, and so many small indus- light mm-hmm. industries or supply chain manufacturers, m- but also many rural communities where access um, to tools, uh, even the, despite the wealth of ideas, is uh is really limited has such a he, it's such a beautiful idea yep. and and so uh it was super fun to hear that that was on the go here yeah. and uh i was really excited to to apply for the position and and um and t- to be realizing it now is is um it's an amazing thing
0: yeah yeah and we're all really glad you're here obviously uh, you know and uh, it's already seems to be taking fire in so many kinds of ways so let me double back on the cre- creativity part of it because we've sort of mentioned design and we've mentioned creativity, and um, I feel sometimes like I need to explain that as the you know my interest in all this as the dean of fine arts. I mean, I'm not like I say, I'm not I'm not a really I'm not a builder. I'm not very handy, but I, I do you know sort of enjoy certain things. But but it <laughs> seems weird to me that people uh, you know sort of say, well, uh, here I am, the dean of fine arts, really pushing for this sort of thing. But the I guess for me, uh, an important part of all this is the. Is the creative element, and the you know whether it is designing something, anything really, any any to my mind, any design project involves a, an aesthetic component, but also just in terms of uh, craftspeople and and who want to who want to make art, you know, uh, the the availability of these tools to our students I think is is really amazing. But I'm really really hoping that uh, what happens in these spaces is that we have this lovely you know mix of, of kind of minds uh, and that creativity is a big big part of that.
1: That's exactly what I hope too and uh, just to come back to your previous question about people in the community being able to use it and, and that you as soon as the idea was being talked about you were hearing from people in the community how they might use it. I've been doing the same since I came here so I started at the beginning of May uh, so a little over three months and I've talked to as many people in the community as I could as I get to know people and they're there's such a vibrant community of artists as well and really skilled and talented um, you know artists creating beautiful things some of, so i've talked to ones that i could in around in around cornerbrook and they're excited to use the space once to hear about the tools that these digital tools design tools that will complement their craft and talking about it in the context of well this is an addi- additional Skills set expertise that they can add to their other craft um that's been very exciting to know that they're interested in using it and and that they can't wait to come in and see what they can do in this space um i should before i come back to the creativity part non-artists in the community as you said t- i've also met a number of people that if they knew about the makerspace, they can't wait till it's open and get in and use it. If they didn't know about it, they're so excited to hear about it, and either they themselves or, uh, or they know of someone close to them that will just, you know, go crazy using the space. Yeah, the the, the this the, is love excitement.
0: Yeah, the, uh, absolutely. The level of buzzing and excitement around all these things has yeah. been tremendous. Yeah. But
1: well, coming back to the creativity part. Um, uh, should I talk about Artisans Asylum and some of the maker spaces that I visited? You should. <laughs> because it's so cool, it'd be a shame not to. Yeah. One of the, sp- I think probably my favorite so far, space I visited, until ours is built out, of course, yeah. is um, it's called Artisans Asylum. And it's huge now. It started out small, and um, they've new- moved now three times to bigger spaces to expand. And their current model is they have a, stu- a studio model, which means artisans can come in and rent studio. Studio space, which is open um, it's kind of like uh, open office plan there's a I don't know how many studios, but on the order of tens maybe sixty or eighty as many Wow I, I might be exaggerating so maybe it's fewer we should find out so in their space, they can either store their materials or they can come in there and work there and then go over to the other part of the building and use all of the the um, fabrication tools. Some of them have tools at their, at their desks, so they're sitting there working. And uh, because it's open, they're talking to each other. They've got their creations displayed. Most of them are artistic. Some of them are functionally artistic. And so, so the space itself is gorgeous just because of the whole variety and imaginati- mm-hmm. imagination and imaginativity on display. Um, and what's really cool about that is there is a common space uh, where people get together and they talk about their ideas and and uh, and the, the maker space. The, coming back to the original idea, the the idea of having tools to create just about anything you want to make, you really see it on display there because you, what people want to make could be better skidoo arms or something that that's broken at home on their bike, or it could be some piece of art or some invention that's never been made before that people have an idea for or just a better you know box that they'd like to have at home there's such a variety of ways that people can be creative
0: yeah you've heard me say this before because uh, you were here for innovation week i think last year i was and i was fortunate enough to be able to speak at that event and uh, i've been reading a little bit and trying to get my head around uh you know creativity as a as a teachable thing, you know, uh, you know, we often talk about being able to... I think, I think we talk about innovation because you can measure it, because you can measure results. Creativity seems to be a little bit more ambiguous or, or ephemeral. or uh, Anyway, I've been reading around creativity and uh, thinking about it, uh, and if you could actually teach creativity. And the thing that sort of struck me, that was, uh, something prompted me to think about this, was uh, that innovation is simply part of a... It sits on a spectrum, and creativity is one on one end of that, I think. And if innovation is about uh, redesign or improving existing uh, systems or, you know, thinking about more efficient ways to do things, you're you're dealing with what's already uh, Mm -hmm. kind of there. And perhaps creativity deals with the inventive spark. Yes, and
1: maybe um, incremental improvement would be on the other end of the scale. Yeah. You're not only dealing with something that's already there, but you're just changing some small thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I, I really like the notion that uh, I think these spaces are as much about uh, you know, Alexander Graham Bell inventing the telephone as they are about uh, you know, figuring out how to how to, how to improve on, um, mm-hmm. you know, and that for me, that, that sheer you know, creative thing that can happen in these spaces is tremendously exciting. because you say somebody might be sitting at home thinking, I thought was something brand new and they're going to bring it into the world and it's going to be revolutionary on some level, right? Whether it is a uh, 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 Aesthetic or artistic expression, of something, or whether it's you know, a brand new tool or, or whatever it is, it's going to be—it's uh, about invention as much as it is about innovation. And I love the fact that these spaces can encompass all of that. Yeah. Like you said, if someone can kind of dream it up, likely we can
1: help them make it. Help them make it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm also fascinated about this about the idea of creativity. When people say that they're not creative, what does that mean? Does it mean that they don't spend any time? Allowing themselves to be creative, or does it mean they've just always had barriers about expressing their, their ideas? And other people have managed to figure out how to bring that out. So, can, and can you teach it? Can you teach it might mean getting rid of those barriers yep. and allowing people to express it. So one of the things I'm really keen to do as soon as we have the space up and running, which will be in September weeks from yeah, now yeah, yeah. is uh start doing some digital design courses and i'm going to try it out in the context of an entrepreneurship course that we have sort kind of a test run um and you and i have talked about eventually even having design curriculum and teaching creativity or can you teach it would be one of the things that, that would have a natural home there and, um but i want to one of the first things i'm planning to do is of course some workshops for everybody kids adults Maybe together, maybe separate, where people can learn those design tools. And I'm uh, my goal is to use open source software along with commercial software that we'll make available in this space. Sometimes you do have to use professional software, but there are many many um, software platforms available at home, available that people can download. So, and the reason is that, as you know. Currently, there are a lot of um, people... Because this whole movement has been sort of DIY-driven, uh, there have been libraries created of digital designs that, that uh, mm. people have created yep. and made them available to others because that, that's all part of the ethos, ethos. And so everybody can grab from everybody else. But in order to even morph that, let alone create something de novo, some design de novo, you need to have some some of the master and gain the craft of some of these design tools. Yeah. And that we can think of as drafting in a two-dimensional sense or playing with something in 3D. And that's the type of software I'm saying y- y- there are now open source software, free software available for that and lots of tutorials Um, It's one thing to follow tutorials at home, but it's another thing to um, just have someone to guide you through it, get started, and also bring people together and start sharing the ideas. And and for people to start expressing their own ideas, in this case, means create a digital embodiment of their idea. And then once they have, that can be used over and over again with these tools. We haven't even talked about CNC um, milling machines, but cutters, millers, 3D printers. So I envision those, even those beginning workshops, as maybe a small series of workshops to start at the intro level, and then people can slot in uh, if they've already got a a few, uh, if they've already tried some things at home, but they want to get to the next level. Yeah. So that I see as an as part as a craft in itself that that um, that people can master, and it's just going to empower. Uh, the creativity that people have to be able to express their ideas and yep. fabricate them.
0: And fabricate them, yeah. No, yeah. Uh, it, it's tremendously exciting. We, um, I say we, I, I was really hugely involved a little while ago, I don't think you had started. Um, they ran a design collision weekend here, which was, I think, uh, was sponsored by the business uh, program. With some engineering faculty from St. John's and, and a bunch of people spent the weekend, much like a startup weekend. And their whole idea was they had an idea and they wanted to, you know. So, what was really, uh, uh, this is of trite maybe, what was really fascinating about it was, there was a wide range of people. It wasn't a huge group uh, involved, but wide age range. And the younger people who were involved were just gone crazy. I mean, they were doing the coolest stuff and they were thinking about these ideas and they were just going bananas doing stuff. And one of the, in fact, the winning uh, proposal was this young kid who, who, who designed this sort of skidoo part because he had this real-world problem he wanted to solve. So he worked with uh, you know, a designer here, and he uh, ended up ultimately mocking up a physical representation. thing he actually went into the, into the, into the sculpture studio, and they built this piece, right?
1: Yeah, so some, some I've been seeing some of these same faces at the workshop, uh, along with many new faces, of course, at the workshops I've been doing through the summer. And um, I've been telling them about the tools that we're going to have in the makerspace and kind of building that in. Uh, it's a stealth way to get feedback, too, on um, ways that people, uh, people think that they will use the makerspace once they see the tools we have available. And I've used that feedback in making my final um, list of equipment and, and thinking about the space and laying out of the space. It's interesting that you mentioned Skidoo parts because one of the workshops I did earlier in the summer, a robotics course up in St. Anthony, up in uh, the northern peninsula, in Plum Point, um, there were a bunch of kids all aged around twelve or thirteen there, who had never heard of a makerspace. If they've heard of any of these digital tools, they heard it would be it was only the three D printer. Um, but I took with me a scale two uh, D drawing of the space that we would have, as well as. Scaled um, tiles representing how much footprint each piece of equipment would take up. There's more equipment than would fit in the space, but allowed each the youth to um, fill out the space as they as they w- yeah. would use it. Great. So I had two. I had these um, two friends who built it out, and they they put in the most hardcore tools: plasma cutter, laser cutter, welder. And then when I, with each of them when they indicated to me that they had it ready and I came over, I took a photo of it so I could save the feedback. And then I kind of interviewed them, although I wasn't really, didn't really call it interviewing, to find out why it was that they filled it out the way that they did. And they told me, well, this arm on the Skidoo, he didn't know what name to call it, but it kept breaking, and he wanted to be able to make his own. And then as the two of them are riffing off of each other, they start saying, well, maybe we could start selling them. <laughs> so to see... That's what I mean when I say kids in Western, New- in in these communities get it because they're going to be all over it. Yeah, yep. and I hope everybody's going to be. We hope it. You know, we all of us here hope everybody's going to be all over it. And it is for the community. It's not for Grenfell. It's not for CNA. It's it is includes those constituencies. And we hope students will get in here and, and especially students from all fields at Grenville and CNA, but everybody in the community. Yep,
0: yeah, yep. Yeah. And um, I know we talked about this as well before, but uh, I know you're going to be part of this course in the fall and uh, send me the stuff on that because I like okay. to try and get some of our students to, to you know, do it. Uh, so I want to press the point a little bit, I think. Um, I, clearly I'm passionate about this sort of stuff and I think it's going to be great and I really, really see the, the, the potential in all this, you know, for the region, right? was curious because you mentioned coding and uh, I came across an article a little while ago. Uh, So you hear a lot about coding and the importance of teaching uh, computer skills, particularly coding skills to to kids and uh, how vital it's going to be and I read this uh, completely contrary-minded op-ed piece in the paper that this is a waste of time because basically you can just get it off the shelf. Why are we teaching kids to build an engine when you just go buy the engine? you know, it's all plug and play. You just need to go get the bits, stick them together, and you've got your app or your thing or whatever. And I think I kind of see the point. But likewise, what I'm, f- and maybe I don't, I don't know, tell me what you think. I, maybe I'm, I'm really overthinking and overstating this. What's kind of interesting to me and all this sort of stuff is we seem to be going back to a fix it kind of culture. That um, uh, we're not just going to throw stuff out, we're going to figure out how to fix it. Uh, and more than that, we're developing a set of tools for people to do their own thing. I, I don't need to rely on Corporation X for this. I can I can do my own thing. And like you say, more than that, I can give it to the world. This whole open source community is just fascinating to me, right? That I can go on Thingiverse or, or GitHub or whatever else, and I can talk to a community and I can say, hey, I'm doing this and I'll get a response back or they'll say, here's my thing for this and I can, you know, do what I want with it and, and so you're part of this kind of global uh, community of people who are just trying to figure stuff out. I, I you know, I, I guess clearly you can tell where I stand on this but I find the contrary opinion kind of interesting because then I think, oh, maybe that's, maybe we are missing something here. I don't know. What do you think?
1: Um, I'll have to reflect on that for a moment but just coming back to uh, so your question brings up a number of things. I'd like to say first of all, thanks for reminding me. I do need to send you materials for that course and get them in your hands so you can distribute them to yes, your students yes, <laughs> yeah. and the other needs um, as well. I need to hit everybody. Uh, so thanks for the reminder. No problem. Um, so yeah, I feel very passionate about this too. And I uh, one of the things when I was a, when I was a prof and, and had a research lab, uh, we did a lot of coding. Uh, whenever you're getting experimental data, usually you develop analysis tools to uh, to analyze the data. U- usually, it, it's something from scratch that's never been done before. So I would always post it to my website and also post instructions so people could use it. So I've been a big DIY and open source fan, yep. and I used to use Linux when uh, you know early on. I switched to Mac because they went to a Linux-based operating system, and I um yeah I've just always been a fan of it because why wouldn't you? And it is it is um, there is an ethos of anti-corporation about it, but why wouldn't you get things in the hands of other people so that they can use it too? Um, and so I used, to get, I used to give a little cheer whenever I get an email from someone saying, "Hey, are we using your code. I just have a small question, or when some one of my students would find some department in some other university where they're teaching software and they point to my website as an example of open source code. So I've been a, I've been a real passionate spot for, for DIY and open source. Um, So it's, it's hard for me to align with, to understand that other perspective. Um, so let me say this. One of the things, so I would make a counter argument. Why would we teach code when we can buy it? Why would you want to build a piece of equipment when you can buy it? So one of the things in the next wave that I want to take out to rural communities, because as we build out the makerspace, we can have this as well. In addition to sort of functional industrial, not industrial scale, but getting towards industrial scale 3D printers, I also want to have one or two ones that you can build so that um, people can take them apart and put them back together. And that, process just allows people, especially young people, but anybody really to see, well, that's actually not that complicated. And the principles are the same for that as they are for this. And I could build that too.
0: It's uh, totally cool.
1: And Uh, and if they and the same with the code and seeing how it works is it's an immeasurable value, but a huge amount of that value is once you break it down and people learn how to do it and they gain the confidence, oh, I can build that myself. And it's, it just empowers people. So, y- yes, you could buy it and that would be faster. And it's much slower to learn how to code or how to build and then do it. But you're, you're getting away from a disposable culture. You're empowering people to build things themselves, mend things themselves. And you're also... Um, you don't know what the next thing that's going to be created is going to be. And it's going to come from that. It's, com- it's going to come from people gaining those basic skills.
0: Yeah, yeah. I got to say, and I, I don't recall who wrote this article, so uh, if the person's listening, I'm, I, I'll apologize beforehand. But <laughs> I also found it a bit sniffy. I also found that the attitude a bit elitist. Why should my child get their hands dirty when they can rely on Someone else get their hands dirty to solve my problems for me. When I think... Um, we're, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, again, this is an overly romantic way of saying this, but uh, we're in a whole heap of trouble, and we're not going to get out of it That's unless right. we figure out how to solve some problems. And we're not going to solve those problems if we're not prepared to share with one another. Right? right. We're not going to solve these problems if we don't just say, uh, you know, we got to put aside all these ridiculous uh, barriers and and share with one another and talk to one another and just be a, all of us. You know, be a part of trying to sort But of we're not going to solve these problems
1: by discouraging instead of encouraging Absolutely. the youth to take things apart see how it works, how it works. build it from scratch yep. build it better build it new build it worse doesn't matter yep. but it's yep. all learning
0: it's all learning yeah
1: and empowering yeah so yeah i i'm so with you on that
0: what a time to be alive hey <laughs> Yes. I'm really, really, really thrilled. Listen, thanks so much uh, for taking the time to talk to me today. I really, really appreciate it.
1: It was super fun. Thanks yeah, it for was inviting super
0: me. It was my own podcast. See, I'm DIYing right that now.
1: That you are. I'm impressed. <laughs>
0: thanks, Maria.
1: <laughs> You're welcome. Pleasure. The School of Fine Arts podcast was recorded at Grenfell Campus, Cornerbrook, Newfoundland. The West Coast. It's the best coast.